Well, it's an honor to serve the Lord and a privilege for me to get to bring God's word to you today. And I want to talk to you about um, what I feel are some of the key characteristics in the church at Philippi. This is interesting. I love the book of Philippians. It has four chapters. It was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it from a prison cell in Rome. He 16 times, even though it was in a very harsh situation, uh, a lot of conflict with the Roman Empire, uh, the news cycle was very terrible, a lot of issues going on, and, it, and Palestine was occupied by an oppressor, and yet Paul was called to reach the oppressors. And um, Philippi was an amazing region, and uh, there's so much to unpack out of these four chapters, uh, but I'm going to try to do it justice uh, prayerfully and bring you a good word that will help you, that will have practical application. And uh, so I, I, I want you to go to the book of Philippians, and I like to say this, please flip over to Philippians. I just love to be able to say that. If you want to know uh, how to remember the, some of the epistles, uh, go eat popcorn. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go, everybody say, go eat popcorn. Now that, now that I put that in your head and you want to have popcorn for lunch, um, let's go to the book of Philippians. And uh, I want to start with verse 3 of chapter 1. Paul, the, Timothy, uh, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Everybody say Philippi. Including the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is really telling because Paul's not having to rebuke the, like he did the Galatians who got into legalism. He's not having to correct the Corinthians who got in imbalances with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, with issues of immorality and things like that. He's just really happy about what the condition of the church is and the standards that are being raised here and the characteristics. We'll talk a little bit about it in a minute, but he thanked God in his remembrance of them. Didn't have a pain or a tinge of upset. He said, always offering prayer with joy, with joy uh, in my every prayer for you all. In view of, look at this, your participation. This is not a spectator sport. It's, uh, we all have a part. And one of the sister verses to that idea is one of my favorite ideas, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, that it's according to the proper working of each individual part that causes the growth of the body and the building up of itself in love. What does that mean? What in the world does that mean? It means, another way to say it, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Another, that's one of those old cliches that people get, they dismiss because it's a cliche, but it's actually a great phrase. That it's, it's our responsibility to yield to and take hold of what he's called us to, and that we, we all have a part to play. And no, we don't compete and try to copy other people or, or get all obsessed with attention-seeking or those kinds of things. In fact, chapter 2 really lays out humility and walking in simplicity and preferring others. It's really, I think the Philippian model is one of the best in the Bible when it comes to church and it comes to individual Christianity. He says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it or perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, that is a powerful, wonderful truth. 
And uh, he says, for it's right, only right for me to feel this way about you as I have you in my heart. Uh, and he talked about in his imprisonment, because remember, he's writing this from the Roman jail. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. So Paul felt connected with these guys. He felt blessed by these guys. And, and let me just give you a little background so you understand that the city of Philippi, at the time this particular passage was written, was considered the gateway to Europe. Uh, it, was, it was a very profound environment. It, it, it was named after Philip of Macedonia, who happened to be the father of Alexander the Great. And uh, so this city was really important. It was, a, it was like a miniature Rome, you know, and... Um, as it would go with this particular region, it would go in other places. So to evangelize Philippi and make disciples there would ensure that the gospel would spread throughout the Roman Empire. And Paul knew this, and this was his aspiration. This is one of his targets. Additionally, uh, what I was saying about the Philippian church at the beginning, but also chapter 2, they had some very solid characteristics uh, that, that were like standards that were raised in the early church. And they, they had a gratitude. They had a generosity. They were like-minded. They were maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We'll get into this a little bit more in a minute. But they didn't do things out of selfishness or empty conceit. This was a real target painted by the Apostle Paul, actually by the Holy Spirit. And for some reason, this, this early a fledgling group of Jesus followers that were coming out of idolatry, that were coming out of all the crazy impositions of what the spirit of the world was saying to them. And they were turning to God from idols, and they were turning to, to submission to the Lord from hedonism and secularism and all the, by the way, Greek and Roman sophistications, because there was a very pluralistic, relativistic sort of era that this ch the church was birthed in. And I think the end time church is going to be consummated in a very sophisticated atmosphere, but yet God's called us to lay aside all the complexity and get back to the basics, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors as ourselves. And the golden rule model, the, 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 the great commission, you know, here at this church, we have a beautiful uh, atlas of the world. Uh, that we can keep our eyes on. We see the flags, and I've had my staff work to get a representation that's current um, to the best of our ability with what all the nations, representing all the nations. I think it's very important that we be a house of prayer for the nations. And hey, I love the egg hunt. How many of you were at the Easter egg hunt? I had so much fun, and I found out one of, a couple of our staff uh, knew there's an app that uh, mothers, uh, families, and young moms and dads, uh, they scan to find things to do for their families. And so they advertised it on, uh, on this app, and there were 300 names that they identified that pretty much they thought were of Indian descent that found out about it. And so there was a wonderful visitation from the great continent of India in our parking lot right just last week. And I talked to some of the Indian families and, you know, one guy said, uh, yeah, I, you know, I didn't know there was a church here because you didn't have a, 
And I, and I, it was his young wife and he had a baby, you know, and I asked him if it was an arranged marriage. And I said, is that working out for you? And they both looked at each other and went, <laughs> so apparently it was, you know, it was so cool. You know, we're Western and we've got our whole, you know, uh, you know, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard style of, 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 of dating or whatever. But then they, their parents say, you know, I see you, I know what you're about. I've talked to my Indian friends about this for years, and they, they say, I know you Westerners have a hard time with this, but, you know, who knows us better than our parents? And, you know, and it's, it's very interesting. Anyway, he says, I am going to, we are going to come to this church. So I thought we had this, you know, 28,000 Easter eggs full of uh, candy that my grandson Trent has hoarded several of. And uh, he particularly likes the Twizzlers for some reason. We, we tasted them and thought, wow, these are pure sugar. That's why he liked them. <laughs> but we gathered nations. We gathered nations. And I, I, I spoke to one lady, only spoke Spanish. She asked me where the Easter bunny was. We did some Spanglish together. She knew the word bunny. She looked over my shoulder and she went, oh, oh. And I, so I was like, yeah, there's the bunny. She, the bunny was right behind me. So the nations came to our Chesterfield Valley location. And thousands of people enjoyed a good, wholesome weekend that was Jesus-centered and God-glorifying. And you guys made it possible, your part, your participation, your commitments, your prayers. The 52 weeks out of the year where we just keep going and going and going. You know, I have to tell you, like the Philippian church, I find it fascinating that here in Chesterfield, the world headquarters for the Energizer Bunny is only two miles away as the crow flies, and he just keeps going and going. And can't you hear the beat of his drum, you know? And uh, I like it because it lends itself to what Paul said I am confident of this very thing. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, the new birth, your new birth, and your repentance and surrender to Jesus is a good work. You're created in Christ for good works, Ephesians 2.10, that he, that he prepared beforehand for you and I, we, us, to walk in them. The, Philipp the Philippian church participated in the gospel. They gave in support of Paul. You can see that in chapter 4. They actually gathered and gave once and again to his necessity to get the gospel out. They led a compelling enough life where we're still talking about him today. And uh, it models something for you and me as an individual, us as a ch local church, we as the body of Christ in 2022, in America, whatever's going on around us, that these guys thrived behind enemy lines under an oppressive uh, environment of the Roman Empire. This city was named after the father of Alexander the Great, who was pretty harsh. And in all this context, we see... Paul targeting it and going, if that's the gateway to Europe, it's kind of like what we feel. St. Louis is the gateway to the West. A friend of mine was preaching, and he talked about the, the uh, spirit of, of pioneering. And he, he was talking about St. Louis. He said, St. Louis is known as a pioneering environment. Spiritually, it is as well. If you're a student of the, of the history of the spiritual things of our city, the French uh, explorer La Salle, when he got out of the boat at the very beginnings, planted a flag on the banks of the Mississippi River and in French said, for the glory of God. And I think there's something to that. And I think there's something to the cumulative prayers. I'm aware as a person in my particular time window 
that uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of those of the past who dreamed big dreams and prayed big dreams all the way through, all the way to the beginning, but even in this local region. And I look like Paul did at Philippi, the, the, the gateway to Europe, and I think, Lord, what is it that you have for our moment in St. Louis? What is it that you have for St. Louis Family Church coming through a global pandemic, coming through being told not to connect, and then the whole issue of... Uh, of uh, uh, spatial distance when, you know, the, the, the moment we've been in has been fascinating. It hasn't thankfully happened much throughout humanity. Uh, the bubonic plague and the, the Spanish flu of the turn of the last century, things like that. Thank God this doesn't happen too often. Cause, but yet here we come through. We come through landing on our feet because I am confident of this very thing. He that has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus would you do me a favor, make a fist, punch the person next to you and say, that was for you. Don't hit them hard, though. Don't hit them hard, unless you're mad at them from driving to church and getting in an argument and working it out. You just received communion, so you need to repent. All right. So now let's go to chapter 3, and let's read verse 12 through 14. Chapter 3, Paul the Apostle, Philippi, and he says this. He's, he's desiring and hungering and yearning for more of God. He says that in verse 10, that I may know him and the, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And he says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. This is Paul the apostle demystifying his apostolic role, his prestigious elitism. He's laying all that down. He's saying, listen, I'm nothing without Jesus. In fact, earlier he says, man, I had all these pedigrees and all this stuff. And he said, I didn't put any confidence in anything in the flesh. He said, I'm nothing without Jesus, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he lays that out clearly. And then he says, uh, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, he says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. Everybody say, but I press on. So that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Let me say this. There's a reason God got a hold of you. There's a reason God has his hand on your life. There's a reason you're in his grip. There's a reason you're here. And I'm, I'm convinced no one comes to him unless he draws them. It has something to do with the amazing, wonderful grace of God calling us out of darkness, calling us unto himself, and us hearing. He calls us by name, and he, and he draws us. And if we pay attention to him and we draw near to him, we're going to have and experience uh, great, great uh, uh, awareness and, and great uh, sensitizing and great uh, energizing, strengthening. We were empty. Now he's our fulfillment. We're distracted, and now he gives us focus. You know, we're, we're hurting, and now he brings healing. And, and, and we're futile, and now he gives purpose. And Jesus, is that, since that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, he gives life to our mortal bodies, and he quickens us. And I am so alert to this, and I'm so thankful for this. And look at this amazing verse. It gets so good here. In verse uh, 13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. You know, anytime I hear somebody say this one thing I do, I hear business, uh, business people that, you know, come and give principles or, you know, you could hear people and 
I watched people at baseball camps teach people how to uh, hold the, the bat and hit the ball, see the ball and hit the ball better. Uh, I, I watched uh, Steph Curry do a, a master class on shooting baskets, you know, and, it, and it's basically uh, the difference is he and Scottie Pippen and people like that practiced and made 1,000 of these same shots. So when you see him make a shot at the very end of a, of a, of a game, uh, they practice that shot a thousand times. And I'm telling you, there's something about the process. There's something about the, the, the steadiness of, 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 of the durability of your life and your existence, the value and quality of your existence. It's not, there are no shortcuts. I'm not going to get up here and hype a single thing to you. But when he says this one thing I do, we should pay attention to it. And what does he say? The one thing I do, he says, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. This is a great admonition. This is Paul the Apostle writing from a Roman prison to the gateway of Europe, to the town named after Alexander the Great's dad, Philippi. This amazing, complex, cosmopolitan zone that's filled with crazy stuff. And yet the gospel's piercing through and engaging hearts and many are coming to the Lord. And he is confident and he's excited about the Christians who are participating and believe in God, holding back evil in the land, and walking in the light, and, and carrying the culture of the kingdom of God forward, and advancing the kingdom, and pioneering. And he knows that, man, if we can evangelize this place, if we could do it right here, then it can go from our Jerusalem to our Judea to our Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm telling you, the Lord has prophesied that over this church before, and he's going to do it, and it's actually coming to pass. And right as I speak, light would come out of this place. The power of the Holy Spirit is hitting us in ways that we're going to be ready for it and we're going to flow with him and, and be sensible in it. And God has done a great purging. He's done some rearranging. He's getting us ready to God be the glory. I'm super thrilled about what the Lord's doing. Say this with me. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, I love that verse. And, you know, I also love Isaiah 40, verse 31. So there's an Old Testament verse I want you to jump back to. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Uh, Isaiah is prophesying to ancient Israel, but it's also pertinent for us because it's general. They who wait upon the Lord, certain things will happen to those who pursue God, make him number one, submit to his lordship, love his word, Stay in church, keep a life of prayer, be generous in your giving, be forgiving to others, walk in the golden rule, walk in love. That's waiting on the Lord. Those are manifestations of seeking after God and making him first. They that wait upon the Lord, the Bible says, will gain. Hallelujah. I'd rather gain than be depleted. I looked at my, uh, my wife and I looked at our little retirement deal, and it, it had uh, gains or losses, and it had a minus and a big number. And I thought, wow, wasn't a good year. But I look in the Word, and I look in the presence of God, and I look in the kingdom of God, and I look in the culture of what Jesus is doing. Oh, hallelujah. I had the news media ask me about church 
about decline in the kingdom. Remember that? You went with me. And, and the guy actually used to be in our youth group, the, the anchor man. And um, the other pastor was real. There, he interviewed a, uh, another pastor. He said, oh, yeah, it's really grim. Yeah, church attendance and all this stuff. And I just went, you know, listen. I'm telling you, I'm believing for a breakthrough. I mean, I just was all on this. I, I, I'm not in denial about certain trendings that the sociologists notice, but I'm lifting up my eyes, and I see that the fields are white to harvest. I fix my eyes on Jesus, who, in fact, is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And like Paul the Apostle, he said, I am confident to the Philippian church while he's writing from a dank, dark, rat-infested, nasty, probably black mold and mildew-filled prison cell in Rome. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 16 times be full of joy. 16 times stay on the sunny side of the street. Hallelujah. It may be gray on the outside, but it's sunny around Pastor Jeff's trunk. Oh, I hated just calling this a trunk. I've heard of abs. Sometime maybe I'll see them in my lifetime. But anyway, if I keep playing on the, on the, on the uh, tra- trampoline with my, my grandkids, get up, Papa, get up, Papa. Those, I did so many sit-ups, maybe I will have abs because of my grandkids. Anyway, here's what I want to say to you. They that wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. Pastor Patsy alluded to that. There's a new beginning here. There's seasons of refreshing here. I just met... Toby Trinidad's uh, grandchild, Savannah, who's three months old. Where, where's Savannah? Savannah's over there. And a new, new member of the church. And uh, feeding, just like we're all feeding, right? <laughs> Nursing mothers, which is, uh, God's bringing uh, nourishment and nutrition and manna. In fact, I, what, I, what I pray whenever I, I, we prayed here a lot yesterday, it was a little hard. We had to fight through some distractions, but prayed for you guys, lifted you up, prayed for church, that when we get together like this, all of us, our takeaway is we've learned something that helps us to conform to the image of Jesus, to humble ourselves and go out walking in love, walking strong, gaining spiritual ground. Amen? And I pray that God would meet your needs and meet you right where you're at. He's near the brokenhearted, so in case you're grieving, he'll work you through that process. In in case you're needing to make big decisions, he'll give you wisdom. If you feel like you've been stuck, I I pray he's he's the glory and the lifter of your head. If depression has tried to eclipse your life, I pray that light would excel darkness and his, his warmth and love would lift you out of the pit. Man, don't do anything drastic right now if you're stuck in a moment. I pray, you, you know, the, the, the resurrection power of Jesus gets all over you and gets you out of that. You feel like you just don't know what to do. You don't have anybody to turn to. I'm telling you, you could turn to the word of God and lay up his word as the treasure in your heart that you might not sin against him. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the word. The entrance of his word will penetrate you. It'll give light to you. It'll bring guidance. It's a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Oh, I'm preaching now. We must keep our eyes fixed on the prize. Here's what I want to say to you. They that wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. 
I, I listened to a minister share recently and explain this verse in a way that I had never really thought about it before, and I thought I'd pass it on to you. So I'm always looking for inspiration. Like you, I'm always looking to, you know, get clarity. And it was interesting that it starts out with flying high on eagle's wings. As I was preparing for Easter, I went to um, a state park in Illinois that I like to go to that overlooks the Illinois River. And I went up on this, what's called Eagle uh, Lookout. And it's known for eagles up along Alton and throughout the, the riverways. And they usually go home by the end of March, but there were still some lingering uh, individuals. And so sure enough, I, I, you know, I, I could tell the difference between a turkey buzzard and an eagle. And so I looked, and it's like, oh, no, nah, it's a turkey buzzard. But they're cool, but not that cool. Uh, but the, the national bird and the, the Bible that gets the good mention, in the, or the, in the bird that gets a mention in the Bible is the eagle. So I like eagles. And uh, they came through DDT, and I remember they were endangered. And I, didn't, I've never, I had never watched or had seen an eagle in flight the whole time I lived in California and the whole time I lived in Missouri, until one day I was driving off, off a long road and made a right turn onto Chesterfield Airport Road. And as I was driving, remember the Missouri River's right over there. I, as I was driving, I saw a big, beautiful span bird flying over the, the airport road and flying directly over this building. I kept watching it, you know, and remember I was driving, so I, I kept my eye on the road. And I, I pulled in, I opened up my my sunroof, and sure enough, God had, that was the first sighting I had of an American bald eagle flying directly over our church. And I felt, you know, I'm not like big on signs and things, but I thought that was a token of God's love for me. And I thought, this is a place where eagles land and take off routinely. And so even at the sunrise service, did you see the eagle? I didn't want to interrupt you, but, you know, it's like, yeah, we had an eagle visitation over our church. Now, some of you are going, what's the point in this? Well, Isaiah used this example, and I watched this eagle fly off those bluffs by the Illinois River in this beautiful span that the uh, you know, Natural Resources Department of Illinois cleared this way to make it. You could see this huge panoramic. You could see all the way across the river over to uh, Brussels, the Brussels Ferry area, and all you can see little dots of farmland and things. It's, it's amazing. And uh, this eagle was flying and didn't flap once. It just it was catching all the thermals that were coming off of the surface of the rivers and off of the, the, the cliffs, and it was just diving and soaring, and it just looked so like it was such ease, you know, and, and uh, not flapping like a, like a hummingbird. I saw a hummingbird yesterday in our yard, so I cleaned out the hummingbird feeder to welcome him home, and he's just flapping like crazy. But eagles, man, they just, they just soar, and it kind of suggests they that wait upon the Lord will gain that kind of soaring, supernatural lift. The eagle knew the value of the lift of the thermals, and I heard this, that uh, birds that want to just kind of go along with everything, they'll go along with the current. But when they want to catch altitude, they turn and they face the headwind. And I feel like we're in 2022, like the church at Philippi with the Roman Empire and its season. They had to turn and they had to face the thermals. Like what in ancient Israel, when 
Isaiah was telling people that were weary. Jacob felt had an insecurity moment. You know, he said, God, do you even care about me? Do you even notice me? And God, in that moment, rebuked all that insecurity, and he rebuked uh, self-absorption, and he said, get out of that. Get, he, re, he rebuked despondency. He rebuked melancholy, and he said, they that wait upon the Lord, come on, get in there and press in a little bit. Seek after God. Lay aside the oppression and the weights and the encumbrances. Now, uh, oh, hallelujah. They'll, they'll mount up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and they'll not become weary. What the pastor said was, it's kind of in reverse, flying and then running and then walking. And um, he said, it seems that when you start out in your Christian faith, you're so exhilarated, aren't you? You got just the future is so bright. And with us having grand, new little babies around us, they're just so bright-eyed, you know. We just look at them, and they, they pop out of the womb, and they're like, feed me, you know, change my diaper. And then that, that's it. But then there's, there's just a purity and a simplicity and an expectation. And you hold them, and you think, I'm holding the future in my hands. And I'm, I'm, this, this person is only looking forward. It has no baggage. This little baby has no baggage, no past. It's just all full-on forward. And when you become a new Christian, hallelujah, you know, you're going on the 35,000-foot Praise God, hallelujah. And then, you know, we went to Bible school, and my pastor asked me to attend to an issue that had happened between some people. So we started to help him, and as soon as I started to help him, I drew back a bloody stump, and things started to happen. My wife can attest to this. She saw my early idealisms. She saw my young joys, and she saw in my formative years, she knew she, we've known each other a long time. We met in that context of soaring. And then... Bitterness came in, and attacks came in, and judgment came in, and it became harsh, and it knocked me right down on the ground. And, you know, I remember I went over to the same park during the winter with my son Taylor, and we were watching the ice flows going down the Illinois River, and I saw a big three-foot standing eagle standing on the edge of the ice looking for fish. And he was just cruising along. You know, he looked, he looked like George Washington crossing the Potomac, you know, the white hair and everything. I was cool. I was like, hey, George Washington. And uh, it was really cool. And I thought, well, that eagle's grounded, but he's still moving forward, you know. And in his case, he was riding the waves, you know. And, and I thought about even then when we were at Bible school, I was still running. It kind of knocked me down off a little bit off of some of my soaring. Um, and then, but yet then sometimes even in life, you could go through things where it's like you're dragging to a run-walk. Uh, but yet, here's what that pastor said, and here's what this pastor will say to you. Never stop walking. You may, well, I used to fly, Pastor Jeff. I feel like I've been hurt. I understand. I, I, I've run, I've run, I'm running, but man, I even, I've become exhausted. Um, but yet, they'll walk and they'll not become weary. Remember Galatians 6, 9 says, don't you dare grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap if you faint not. We stagger not at the promises of God, and this is where the strength of the Holy Spirit will come. And I'm going to give you some things to write for, for if you're a note-taker in the next 10 minutes. Number one, we must keep our eyes fixed on the prize and stay focused. This is a hard thing for some of us to do. I remember every teacher I had 
since first grade. I don't remember my kindergarten teacher saying this because I was busy taking a nap. But in first grade on, when the academics started coming in, look up here. Pay attention, Jeffrey. Everybody say, pay attention, Jeffrey. Boy, as soon as they said my whole name, you know, and uh, that's what Solomon, David's son, said, my son, pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them escape your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and their health to all their flesh. So much distraction trying to happen to us on a daily basis. So many things vying for our attention. So much of the spirit of the world trying to allure us. It was happening in the great city of Philippi, the gateway to Europe. It was happening in Rome, the, the empire center of that particular era. It's happening in the United States. There's so much vying right now, trying to chip away, even at the church of the Lord Jesus. But here we are, under different circumstances, under a different headship, under different leadership, getting our eyes on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in fact, we are to stay focused. Proverbs 4.25 says, don't look to the right or the left. In Luke, it says, remember Lot's wife. Don't anxiously look about you, it says in Isaiah 41.10. So everybody say, stay focused. He said, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. The second point, we are, must persevere. He said, I press on. Say that. I press on. In the last service, I had two marathon runners. Ray Zepp, John Moore is still here. Pastor John, he runs half marathons, and he's run marathons. And I talked to both of these gentlemen. I've known them many, many years. And uh, they went from, I, actually, Ray ran the entire marathon, 20, what is it, 21 and a half miles or something, whatever it is, ran the whole thing. Uh, it's funny, when we were in Kosovo together, he said, hey, Pastor Jeff, I heard you jog. Yeah, you want to go running with me? I said, sure. So, and I thought I was in pretty good shape. He's got about 12 years on me. And so I thought, yeah, this will be a cinch. So I went out there. He, I, usually run, I usually run three and a half or four miles. He's running five. And Ray's very verbal. So he's having long, multiple-sentence conversations with me. Oh, so anyway, Pastor Jeff, so then anyway, so, and, and I'm going, I'm going, I, 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 my male ego kicked in, and I'm going, and so I'd go, I'd, I'd, get, I'd get ready for the end of his sentence so I could answer other than, yeah, no, and, I, and I'd say, oh, yeah, Ray, so anyway, da, da, da. then i go, I was such a poser. Everybody say, you were a poser. But he, nevertheless, in this season of his life, in order to stay in the game, he runs and walks. And let me tell you, maybe you did soar. And I'm not negating the, the, the invitation the Holy Spirit will give us to mount up again on wings like eagles. It's, it happens in seasons and cycles, and it's okay to have aspiration for that. How many of you like to catch some of the, the headwind and the thermals? Instead of being grounded, you go up into new levels. He, he makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon my high places. Remember what Paul said, I am confident of this very thing. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And if you've given your life to Jesus and you're serious about it, you've experienced a new birth uh, according to the scriptures and humbled yourself and received him, as many as receive him, to them he gives the right and the power to become the children of God. And then there's something really profound going forward about your running and your walking. So, we need to recover from distraction. 
I read that successful people shorten the time from the distraction to the recovery to get back on a project. And that somebody said it takes, what is it, a 20 minutes average to recover from a distraction? Isn't it 20 minutes or something like that? And I figured out, it used to take me two hours and 20 minutes. I'd be like, hey, it's like, wait, what was I doing? And uh, so I, I've learned as in my desire for maturity and, and growth, it's like, God, I want to figure out how to shorten that and get back because distractions are inevitable. Even when we put our cell phone on mute, the sucker is buzzing away in our pocket. And early on in the game, I realized something isn't right about this. I threw it in my back seat and I said out loud, I will not text while I'm driving. This was a long time before, you know, you drive by people and are you know, everybody you drive by, you go, that person's got a phone. And sure enough, they're going. And it's like, it's like worse than drunk driving or as much as, as, as like drunk driving. I spiritually don't want to be distracted. And I, I spiritually don't want to be lethargic. I want to keep walking. Don't look at somebody next to you and say, never stop walking. See, we will gain new strength. We need to use our God-given strength. We must walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We must walk in love, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2. We must walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And this is what God is saying to us right now in these standards. He's raising a standard in the Philippian church. And, and, and go quickly to Philippians chapter 2, verse Verse 1, look what it says here. It says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, verse 1, if there's any consolation of love, Paul's making an appeal to these people. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. This was Paul's aspiration as the founding leader of a church. This is my aspiration as a pastor of a local church, that we do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, we regard one another as more important than ourselves. Verse four, we do not merely look out for our own personal interests, but also for the interests of of others. Boy, this would be a revolution in world culture if more people would do this. But it has to, it's a non-negotiable in the church. We have to do this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. So we need to cop an attitude, and this is the attitude that's going to determine our altitude, and it's to lay aside weights, encumbrances, and sins. So number one, we stay focused. Number two, we persevere. Number three, we must reduce parasitic drag by laying aside excess weight. We must reduce parasitic drag by laying aside excess weight. Uh, a lieutenant colonel in the, in the military wrote about a parasitic drag on the wings of jets. I remember as a child growing up by the, uh, the ocean and there, there would be boats that would, some were dry docked that this didn't pertain to them, but the ones that were used out in the water uh, would have these little crustaceans called barnacles form on the hull that would cause drag. And they would be, some of them just little small ones. You know, you think of the ones you see on rocks and things like that. 
Uh, they'll affix on the back of a lobster or a, or a turtle, they, you know, on boulders, you could see them on, on uh, uh, mussel shells and things like that, abalone. But when they would get on boats, they would reduce their performance. And so there is actually even a whole uh, business um, model of people that will go out with scuba gear and scrapers and, and spotlights, and they'll, for a fee, they'll go in and they'll scrape the hull off of, uh, and get the, get the hindrances off of the hull of a boat in order that it could perform and it could, and it could cut through the water and it could improve mileage and, 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 and gas consumption and so forth, or the sailboat that it would improve. And, and, and so a little bit of that goes a long way. And the Holy Spirit is saying to us, like he said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, since we have such a great series of examples, uh, uh, Enoch who walked with God and then he was taken up, uh, Noah who in obedience built an ark to the saving of his family. A lot of you are building arks to save your family right now. A lot of us are having to make quick decisions on our feet because society has gotten very evil and very dark and what was subterranean is now exposed. So now we're having to stay in conformity to Jesus and guard our hearts so we don't become like the world. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're having to think on our feet and make critical decisions. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, uh, let us fix our eyes on Jesus and lay aside weights and encumbrances and the sins that so easily entangle us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Oh, hallelujah. Look at this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 1 Corinthians 5.24 says, run in such a way that you may win. And in 25, Paul says, I, I, I run uh, I, I box as though, though not, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. So the Bible is in no way uh, exhorting us just to go through some religious routine. There are real reasons for why God was having Paul write to the Philippians. You guys, were, your participation is exemplary. You're on a good flow. Stay in a good flow. And here's some how-tos. Set the bar. Walk in love. Maintain, you know, God's purged a lot of things. Agendas and attitudes. I've watched this before. Revivals have hid in my life in the past. He's cleansing the body of Christ. He's dealing with each one of us as individuals. I, I don't want to harden my heart. I want to stay tender. I want to repent of everything I need to repent of. And I want to go with God. How about you? And I don't want parasitic drag. I don't want barnacles on my hull. I don't want a bad attitude in my spirit. I don't want to be bitter. I want to stay merciful. I, I don't want worry. I want faith. Uh, I, I don't want um, despondency. I want joy. Everybody say, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> say, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> say, ha, ha, <laughs> See, it started getting real. That one was a real laugh. I just heard a real one come out of that. Thank you, Jesus. So lastly, as we lay aside the weights, we forgive. We refuse to harbor resentment. So, so many of us have been hurt, and it's clipped us in the wings, and we're just kind of stuck. But yet, we just have to shake it off. Even if they're already dead and gone, you just have to forgive them. Just have to forgive and move on. Verse, final point. Every one of us can win if we will play according to the rules. And number one, and chiefly, 
It's making sure that Jesus is first in our lives. That, we, that Matthew 6.33, that we're diligent to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Bump him right up as number one. That's why I like saying grace at meals. Lord, before I satisfy my appetite and savor the beautiful food that somebody worked hard to cook, I want to be put above that consumption. I want to put thanks. I come into church. Before I do anything else, I want to enter in with praise and thanksgiving. I want to enter in with my tithes and offerings and give. I want to come in prayerful, and I want to go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And I want to carry Jesus and stay with Jesus and maintain consistent personal fellowship with Jesus by staying in his word, storing it up in my heart, by being a person of prayer, walking in love. My wife prayed so loud this morning, I had to dry my hair in the other bathroom. I told, I told my, a pastor friend who I pray with every Sunday morning before church, almost every, and he said, boy, that's old school, isn't it? And it's, it's old school. Some things, this is what I just read to you is from the Bible. It's 2,000 years old. It's old school, but it'll work. In fact, this, th- th- there's no, there are no shortcuts, eagles. There's no shortcuts, runners. There's no shortcut, walker. We just haven't done all to stand. We stand. Let's all stand up on our feet. We're about done right now, but this is a fresh start for you today. It's push the reset button on your love walk. It's push the reset button on, on your attitude. We, we, we guard our hearts. We guard our souls from trouble. We bridle our tongues, right? If you brought a sport coat, button your button. Your button. Need to cover my trunk. All right. Lift up one hand toward heaven. Put one hand on your heart with me. And just say, Heavenly Father, I really enjoy you. You're the object of my affection. Everything else is secondary. You are primary. My relationship with you is super important. Please help me to prioritize accordingly, to set my sights to make it my aim to lead a godly life in obedience to the Bible, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, guided by your voice, led by your spirit, walking in love, walking by faith. Order my steps. Open doors of opportunity for me. Now listen, put both hands on your heart. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and you've never been born again, you've never surrendered to him, you don't know whether you can say yes or no to that question, then you need to be saved today. You need to be saved. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Just yield to him. Turn from all your own way to ask God to forgive you of your sins, and he will. Submit to him in humble respect. Yield to him. Turn your feet from your own path and submit to him and say, Jesus, from now on, your will be done. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, this is a life-transforming moment. Jesus is Lord of my life. I submit to his will. Help me with my walk. Help me to stay obedient. Protect me as I go in driving, flying, and walking. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.